welcome back to the Access to Education podcast, where we talk about everything having to do with learning challenges and learning disabilities. Today on the show, we're talking about speech therapy. My guest today is Ali, a speech language pathologist who works in the West End of Toronto. Ali works with children from preschool to adolescents who struggle with communication. She supports families in learning and understanding social communication, articulation, motor speech, and language difficulties. Allie works with children who have exceptionalities such as ADHD, ASD, and or a stutter. Through one-on-one sessions and group work, she supports both children and families in better understanding how to communicate. Allie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you. Quite excited about talking about speech therapy because before I had kids with exceptionalities, <laughs> I thought speech therapy only had to do with learning how to talk. So uh, I learned a lot through my own kids. So I'm excited to um, have you on to share your expertise. Yes, you are not alone in thinking that is our job. But uh, as we'll talk about, that's a lot more to the profession. That's for sure. So let's start kind of with very bare bone basics. And can you explain a bit more about what speech language pathology is and how it can help families and kind of what it is that you do outside of learning how to articulate. for Yes, absolutely. So speech pathologists, like I said, can wear many hats, which is one of the main reasons why I love the profession so much. So what's so awesome about speech pathology is that we work with people of all ages from birth to, you know, people in their eighties and their nineties. We can work with Uh, babies who are having difficulty with feeding or infants who are um, late talkers or children having difficulty being understood because of some speech sound difficulties. Um, We work with children on grammar and sentence structure and literacy and writing and also social communication and stuttering. So there's a ton that we do. Um, I personally work with Uh, preschool and school-age children who stutter at my one job. And at my other job, I work with children, uh, children and teens on social communication skills and uh, also language and articulation skills. So I do a lot of different things um, at both my jobs. You just said something that made me think. You work with kids from birth? Yeah, so I don't personally, but speech pathologists do. Um, there are speech pathologists that work in the NICU, for example, at Sick Kids Hospital um, for tons of different things like cleft palate and cleft lip, who are children, uh, babies who are having difficulty with feeding. So, really, from birth, there are speech pathologists actually in the NICU. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that like expands the scope of work way yeah. more than I had kind of envisioned. Yeah, wow. exactly. And, and we also work because uh, feeding and swallowing is all with the same anatomy of talking. We also work with elderly people who've had a stroke or a brain injury um, on both their communication skills, but also their swallowing. So that's another big part of the job. Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I learned something. <laughs> I know it's 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 deceiving when it's a speech language therapist. Like, there's not it's it's missing a lot in the title. I find. So let's kind of dive into a little bit more of what access to education talks about in terms of learning disabilities. And one of the things I like to try and um, get information out about is 
how parents can first maybe identify that there's an issue, right? It's hard to know and you kind of, yeah, you hem and haw as a parent, I've certainly been there. But let's talk about what are some of the early warning signs that your child or a child might be struggling with language difficulties, mm-hmm. whether it's the actual speech in terms of the age in which they speak, or maybe some other sort of social communication that they haven't quite figured out yet. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously all children are different and, you know, the speech and language skills uh, will develop at a different rate. Even the, the norms that are out there can vary a lot in terms of the norms that I generally follow. I'll split it up into language, social, and speech. So in terms of language, generally a, a child that's 18 months or so old should have about 50 words in his or her vocabulary. So when a child has around 50 words, that's when they also start putting two words together. Um, So like saying more bottle, for example. Um, And then by two years old, they should have around two to 300 words. If that's not the case or our child's very far behind that, I would probably seek a speech pathologist service. So that's language. Um, In terms of speech, so the clarity of a child's talking, um, an unfamiliar listener should understand 50% of what a two-year-old says and 75% of what a three-year-old says. Obviously, there's a lot of variability, but if if a child's three and, you know, like a stranger could not understand what they were saying, I would seek a speech pathologist. And then in terms of social, um, babies they really do start engaging with people around six to nine months-ish. So, you know, eye contact, smiling, babbling back and forth, um, eventually requesting things from an adult, pointing, reaching, making a sound. If you're not seeing that engagement with another adult or another person, um, that I would definitely seek speech pathology in that case. So, You can kind of see from early on if a child's having difficulties with social communication really as early as, you know, six to nine months. So it's earlier than you might think, but it's kind of something to keep your eye open for um, when you have a baby, for sure. If a parent has a child who's maybe not reaching one of those milestones, what are some things that they can do? Like, is there anything, little things that they could do at home that can help to kind of bring that language along? Absolutely. So in a a young child, so like nine months to, you know, 18 months, there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, For example, giving the child a reason to communicate. So oftentimes parents, they're so good at anticipating their child's needs that they know this point or this grunt or this sound means I want my bottle. And this one means I'm, I need to be changed. So Uh, parents are really good at anticipating their child's needs, but sometimes just giving them a reason to communicate. So putting something out of reach of a child, putting things in a container that they can't open um, so that the child has to have a reason to ask for help or to ask for assistance. That's a really big one. Um, And then another big tip I often give parents is to take what your child says or is trying to say and expand upon it. So if a child says more, you could say, oh, you want more juice. If a child says, fall down, you can say, oh, you fell down and you hurt your head. So just kind of taking what they say and expanding upon it 
or taking what they say and saying it how they would if they could. So if that means pointing to the shoe, but not saying anything, you could say, oh, the shoe, let's put your shoe on. So really just kind of saying what they would say if they could and expanding upon that. Okay. So that totally makes sense for say kids between Mm -hmm. say, I don't know, 12 months and 12 months is probably a little bit young, but sort of 12 to maybe three or four. Yeah. But what happens when you get a 10 year old like that? I, I, I don't know that I could see that working with a 10 year old. So I guess my question is how can you kind of do the same thing, but kind of get the buy-in from a 10 year old? So in terms of the goals of a 10-year-old, it obviously depends. Um, Generally at that age, and I'm thinking just more about my clients, so I don't, like this is very, very general to my clients. I work a lot on um, story retell and personal narratives and being specific with your language and talking about uh, what you did during the day, but not saying this and that and the stuff and the thing. So whether that's with, Um, sometimes I'll use visuals. So I'll actually have pictures of things you might do in the day to make it a bit easier to come up with the words. Um, also making sure that you're, you're picking topics that are relevant to a 10 year old. So if a 10 year old loves Minecraft or Roblox, make a, may have them make a personal narrative or a story about, about a video game or reading a book. If a child really likes, you know, Frozen, do a story retell from a frozen book. So it really depends on the goals. Um, but in terms of an older child, those are generally my goals when it comes to language. Obviously things are very different for social, for articulation, but um, that's kind of what pops into my brain when it comes to language skills. Yeah, for sure. So just enriching language through everyday activities that can kind of allow for them to kind of grow with the parent or, or yeah. follow along with, yeah, right? absolutely. Okay, so that's a fair, I, I would say, a fair dive into um, kind of the speech side. Yeah. But I think the part that I really want to try and talk about today is really about the social communication part. Because I think that's a bit of a missed piece, maybe, um, in terms of being able to sort of understand how that all fits together and, and what it looks like. So... I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how your work and the work of your colleagues kind of plays into social communication and how that's all tied in. Yes, that's a great question and one that I get very often. And to be honest, until I started working where I work now, to me, social communication was not something that we really learned much about in school. Um, So as a speech pathologist, the goal is to help people to communicate. So if a child has, you know, excellent language and can talk about dinosaurs for hours and hours with fantastic sentence structure and great grammar and really awesome vocabulary, that's great. But if they talk about it for hours and hours and hours and use this amazing, use this amazing language, does somebody want to hear about it for hours? Probably not. So what we do is we help children to actually use their language skills and their ability to communicate with, with other people in more of an appropriate or expected way. So 
a huge part of social communication is understanding some of those subtle nuances of social environments, like reading body language, reading, understanding tone of voice and facial expression um, in other people, but also recognizing how your uh, nonverbal communication skills like body language, tone of voice, facial expression impact other people. How do, uh, to teach a child how their behaviors and their actions impact people's thoughts and feelings about them. So if I act in X way, people are going to have a thought about me and a feeling about me, depending on how I act. Um, I also work with children on, you know, how to make friends, how to join a group, how to maintain positive friendships. What does it actually mean to be a friend? Um, What's the difference between a friend versus someone who's maybe you know, not really treating us so well, and we don't really realize that. So it's really helping children ultimately to use their communication skills with other people um, to have more positive interactions with their peers. That's usually the the ultimate goal. Yeah. Okay. And I would, I mean, I get the sense and I mean, my kids' exceptionalities are fairly benign in terms of, you know, what's happening and and they are where they are. and, And one is, has more social challenges than the other. Um, But I could see how being able to understand those social cues, you know, when you're talking about kids with exceptionalities, it's really difficult and it doesn't really matter what the exceptionality is. Because at the end of the day, most of our kids with exceptionalities have some sort of social communication issue in terms of they don't always kind of get or they take the joke too far or they don't get the joke or, you know, they want to be in the joke, but they're kind of part of the joke, but they don't realize it. Right. It's those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's those taking things that sometimes are implicit, like you and I would maybe pick up on it pretty quickly. Like I don't run around in class because it's a rule. It's a hidden rule that I'm not supposed to run around in class. So it's taking those really implicit rules and norms and sometimes just making them more explicit to a child and really teaching them explicitly so they can actually understand it and it's not so hidden anymore that's sort of one of the big goals yeah which I think for a lot of us parents of kids with learning challenges whatever the exceptionality is I think that's the biggest struggle is you know feeling like your kid is left out for example which my one of my kids often is because of his inability to always read the room, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a skill. I mean, as adults, you know, those of us who've kind of figured it out, you know, we do okay because we get it. But if you don't get it, it it is really difficult and can be really isolating. Exactly, exactly. And I think a huge part of that is, like you said, reading the room or reading the nonverbal communication. So understanding that if my arms are crossed and I'm moving away from you, I'm probably feeling uncomfortable. Or if I'm looking down at the ground, I might be feeling sad. So just, I think it's just really hard for a lot of children. And what, this is one of the big things I work on to really just understand things that aren't said and understanding that communication is more than just what we say. It's also how we say it. Yeah. I was just going to say that it, it, the communication that you as a speech pathologist work on is not only the physical, I mean, it sounds weird to use the word physical because I don't know if it really is defined as that, but the physical use of your mouth to make words, exactly. you aren't just working on that. You're working on the whole thing. It's a holistic approach to the mouth, the eyes, the hands, the, you know, the shoulders, the, the stance, the whole thing, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which I now 
am putting two and two together. Um, as a parent who's had my child or children at your center in one of your programs where it's run with the occupational therapist and those people who've listened to previous episodes, we had um, one of your colleagues, the occupational therapist, Brittany, came on. Um, and I'm now seeing the connection between the occupational therapist and what they do and the connection between what you do as a speech language pathologist, kind of that whole piece coming together. Exactly. That's why our groups are so great because we have the OT and the SLP side, which is why I'm sad that during COVID we haven't been able to run groups, but you can't really have one without the other. Oftentimes children are having difficulties with their social communication because they're having difficulty regulating their emotions, but also they're having difficulty regulating their emotions because they're having challenges with their social communication skills. So that's why Brittany and I work together on the groups with the, with the children on both self-regulation and social communication because they are so intertwined and you can't really separate them. It's so rare to be able to separate them. Yeah, no, and it's, it's like just sitting with you talking now, I get it, right? Like I yeah. get it. I got it before, but I feel like now I can see how the two pieces really come together. And having seen that program in action, the benefits of being able to have both sides of the coin, because it really is two sides that kind of bring it together is, is really awesome. Yeah, yeah. So let's say I'm a parent and I have a 10-year-old at home, and there are some articulation issues, there are some speech issues, you know, life is busy, and you didn't get to it, you didn't think it was really a problem, because you understood everything as a parent. Is there ever a point at which getting support for speech language is, like, it's past the point of being able to support? No, definitely not. Um, I would say as long as the client or the child has the motivation to make the change and is willing to put in the work, it, it does not matter. If I have a 10, 11, 12 year old who has no interest in fixing his or her R or his lisp, for example, then I mean, I'm not gonna get that child to do their homework, most likely. I mean, I probably could in some way, but it's not gonna be meaningful to the child and therefore they're probably not gonna do their practice and their homework and, and all the stuff that you need to do in order to make the change. So in terms of, is it ever too late? Absolutely not. As long as there's motivation to make a change and to actually put in the work. And that's why, you know, we see people of all ages. Like I said, we see 80 year olds, 90 year olds who have had a stroke and have lost their ability to communicate. If they want to make the change, they will make the change. So it's definitely never too late. One of the things that I think, connected from for me and that I've read through research and I've begun to understand is that sometimes speech delay can be a precursor for a like ding ding there might be something more going on in terms of a learning disability an exceptionality whether it's ADHD whether it's a specific learning disability whether it's autism for example why is that like what is the connection between delayed speech and an LD or, or exceptionality, knowing that, you know, you're not necessarily an expert in, in the field of diagnoses in terms of LDs and things, but there certainly seems to be a connection between a delay in speech and a connection to LD. So I wonder if you have any insight for families in terms of what that's about and kind of how they can start to 
turn things to the positive. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, how much more insight I have uh, in terms of what you just said, because you just covered it pretty well. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of evidence that language delays or speech delays have an impact on academic and learning abilities in the future, especially literacy skills. Um, because in terms of literacy, like written language is just an extension of oral language. So if a child has difficulty with verbal language or oral language, they're probably going to have challenges with written language and reading. If, if a child doesn't have a strong vocabulary, that's a precursor to reading. So without a strong vocabulary, you're probably going to have some difficulties with reading. Or if you have difficulties comprehending language, you're might, you might have difficulties comprehending what someone is reading to you or what you're reading. So everything kind of ties into each other. And a child that is struggling with uh, these areas definitely will need some explicit teaching to kind of help build the skills. Um, and, and yeah, there's definitely evidence to support that LDs and, and language delays are definitely um, related to each other. So I think kind of the key message that I'm getting is that if as a parent you suspect there might be some sort of delay in the language, whether it's the actual communicating of the words or the, the understanding of the words, that in either one of those cases or both together, which is also possible, that in that case you want to try and kind of get support to sort of start on a positive trajectory forward and the earlier the better is my Yes, exactly. So in a, in a psychoed assessment, they will most often, unless it's completely not warranted, do a, some sort of language assessment um, to kind of look at just the overall language functioning of the child. Um, and in that case, if a psychologist who's doing the assessment notices that there's any, you know, lang language-based learning disorder, or e sorry, language-based learning disability, or even a child that doesn't qualify for anything, but you know their, their scores on the language tests are just kind of borderline, then they'll refer to a speech pathologist to just get that extra teaching and that extra explicit instruction um, to help them kind of catch up to their peers. It's hard to say if they'll ever, you know, if a child will ever be completely caught up, who knows, but just the, the, explicit, the explicit teaching of the skills is definitely necessary for a lot of children. So let's move on to a funner part now. I was okay. talking to my guests about these things because they always have great insights to give. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering if you have any really good book recommendations for families exploring speech therapy as a possible resource. What um, kind of tidbits have you got for us? So in terms of families exploring, like actually going to speech therapy, I recently came across two books. I haven't read them. But I recently came across them in a Facebook group. One is called Aiden Goes to Speech and one is called Sammy Goes to Speech. They look excellent. Um, I think it's just about a child who's nervous to go to speech therapy but is having some difficulty communicating. And then in terms of what I actually use in my practice, I have a feeling Brittany probably talked about some of these, but um, some of my go-to for social communication are the We Thinkers books from the Social Thinking Curriculum. Um, and then also Julia Cook books, because she writes about all of these different skills that every child I work with needs. So uh, not interrupting, accepting no for an answer, um, stuff like that. So she really takes all of the little skills and puts it into a book, which I love. 
Um, and then something pretty exciting is I'm actually in the process of writing my own children's book right now. Um, so I'm actually currently getting it illustrated. The book is going to be about reading nonverbal communication. Um, so body language, facial expression, and tone of voice in for younger children. Because there's a lot for, you know, seven, eight, nine, but there's really nothing for three, four, five-year-olds. Um, so I wrote kind of a three-part series, one on body language, one on facial expression, and one on tone of voice. And I'm hoping to get those published, whether that's from a publisher or self-published, by hopefully mid-2021. So that's the goal. <laughs> And hopefully they, I really just want that, wanted them for myself, but then I realized that maybe other people could benefit from them. Those all sound really interesting. And the one that I wanted to interrupt you on, like <laughs> the one where you, uh, I guess it was the cookbook one where it's yes. like you had to accept no and all those things. I feel like that is even for children who do not have exceptionalities. Yes, exactly. That is like all children bar none from like six months to, oh, well into 20s probably there's probably some parents yes. going yep we could use those social stories yes she she's fantastic she really hits every single skill that you know i every time i need a book for a specific you know goal for a child i just google and there's always a julia cookbook <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah um are there any good um apps or web pages that you recommend to families um so most Speech and language specific apps generally cost money. Um, if any parents are actually interested, there's a company called Super Duper that makes fantastic apps um, for a price. And more general apps to support language skills like vocabulary, prepositions, pronouns, um, all of the Toka Life apps, Toka Boca. Um, Play Home is another app that you can get a free part of the app and then you have to pay for more. Um, when I worked with really young children before, um, I used to use this app called Peekaboo Barn that helps children to work on animal sounds and animal names. I just love that one. So that one popped up in my brain. Um, but in terms of, uh, there's not, there's no, I'm not such an app person. So those are the ones that really stick out to me, but, uh, I'm more of a books person. Okay. And what about, we talked a little bit about what families can do at home to support their kids in terms of, you know, getting them to ask for what they want, making it a little bit more difficult than just, you know, grunt, grunt. And you as the parent provide them with said item. I certainly was that parent with our middle child. <laughs> Didn't always help them much, but let's talk about what educators can do in a classroom. So you're a teacher in a classroom and there's a couple of kids or one child who has some communication issues, whether it's a social communication issue or whether it's simply just a speech issue, are there any things that teachers can kind of do within a classroom that can help support the child? Yeah, for sure. So obviously it depends on the child, but um, when it comes to language, a big suggestion that I give to all teachers is to use a lot of visuals to support language skills, um, whether that's a visual schedule or visuals for instructions. Children that are having difficulties with language often respond very well to visuals. Um, giving one direction at a time. So not throwing a million things at every at the child all at once, separate all the directions one at a time, give specific directions, use concrete language. So don't use things that can be misinterpreted. Don't say uh, pop squat or something like that. Like a figure of speech should be, be like, pretty like bunny. Yeah. <laughs> like a bunny doesn't work well. <laughs> and um, give a lot of repetition. 
I think that is one of the main things that really helps with children who are struggling um, with language, providing a lot of repetition. And then when it comes to social communication, just be mindful at recess about what's going on and try and, you know, talk to the child one-on-one if you're finding that they're having trouble socially, um, obviously keeping parents in the loop so that they can seek services if they need to. That's awesome. Thank you so yeah. much, Allie. Um, Allie, it's thank you for taking the time tonight to tell us a little bit more about what you do and what other speech pathologists do and kind of what families should be looking out for if they think it's a good fit or they think it's something they should consider. Um, do you, ha- where can people find out more about you? Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, first of all. Um, I would love to promote my services at the Red Oak Center, uh, where I support social communication, articulation, and language. And then I also work at the Speech and Stuttering Institute, where I support children who stutter. Um, And I'm currently in the process of getting my website up and running. Um, I will give you the link and hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, my website will be up and running. It's going to be called Express Yourself Speech and I'm going to use it for a lot of blogs and ultimately for my book when my book does come out. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Well, when this uh, podcast comes out in the podcast description, uh, families will be able to go in and find all of the goodies that Ali has just kind of given us um, from the app suggestions to the books, to the websites, all those good things. We'll have all of that in the description um, of the podcast. So once again, Ali, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you taking the time. This is a super interesting conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are looking for help and support in creating a roadmap to success for your child through challenging times, contact me at accesstoeducation.com. I work with all families to help them build power and knowledge in understanding their child's needs and how to build success through advocacy. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Access to Education Toronto. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so together we can create your roadmap to success. Mm-hmm.